You're listening to a Bespoken Media production. This is my family, mental illness and me. I'm Dr Pamela Jenkins. I, like so many people, grew up with a parent with a mental illness. My mum, Irene, had schizoaffective disorder. This had a profound effect on my childhood and continues to impact my life, even today. This podcast is made by the charity, Our Time. In each episode, a different guest will share their own experience of growing up with a family member or family members living with mental illness. I really hope that you enjoy listening to these conversations as much as I enjoyed having them. We do explore some difficult and potentially triggering memories throughout the series. So there's advice and links to support in the show notes. Please, please do speak to someone if you're affected by anything raised in the episodes. For this episode, I'm chatting with a brilliant writer whose mother's mental illness was undiagnosed in her lifetime. Hello, I'm Emma Kennedy and I'm an author and screenwriter. Do you know, we, we've we've chatted prior to this and we had such a lovely chat, didn't we? It was so lovely. It was so revelatory to me as well because you're, you're the first person, you know, with actual qualifications that, that I've ever <laughs> spoken to about my experience in childhood. And it was it was so helpful. It was it was incredible because I, I mean I think something that we will probably touch on greatly in, in this chat is how well, certainly when I was a child one of the, the the biggest problems for me was that I didn't think anybody else was in the same situation that that I was and if I had known that even one other person was going through what I was going through it would have made such a difference so we, you know we can say from the off if you're out there and you're listening to this and this is the first time you're hearing that that other people are having the same experience as you then we are here for you I completely agree and I, I know what you mean it's a common story that you think that you're by yourself mm. because nobody talks about it nobody did talk no, about it no no it, it's it the, the big the big thing you know when you're living with a parent that's got a mental illness and certainly when you're a child and you don't really properly understand what is going on and there's uh, i mean certainly from my point of view i i was terrified of my mother when i i was a child and and well what i was t- I, I was trying to think about what it was that that sort of made me feel terrified and I think it was a couple of things it was it was the uncertainty of of knowing who she was going to be on any given day and sort of in my case there was the good there was the good mum and there was the bad mum and bad mum was was the person who I was terrified of and it took me until I was in my 30s for me to properly understand that she wasn't bad. She was just unwell and she didn't know it and we yeah. didn't know it properly. So there was there was, there was that. Um, but it was also sort of the, the, the having to keep it all secret and that nobody was was allowed to talk about it outside of the family unit. So that's that's a terrible burden that you're carrying. And again, not fully understanding that that's a burden that, that, that you – are carrying. Did you ever talk to Brenda about it? No, no. Did what was interesting to me because you talk about it in in the book mm. about the not the not talking about it and and you didn't talk about it with your mum about mental illness. Did you ever talk to her about how the bad behaviour impacted on you? So if if no. she behaved badly, would you say no? No, th- th- this was the thing that was so interesting. So, uh, I should explain. I um, I wrote a book called Letters from Brenda after my mother died. Seven years after my mother died, it took me that long to be able to do it. But I had had a very complicated relationship with my mother. And I had been convinced that she had had a an undiagnosed mental illness for all of her life. But it, it you know, it was never confirmed by a professional and when she died i found 75 letters from her in suitcases in the in the loft of the family home that were addressed to me so that i i read those and and then it took me 3 years after i had read those to actually then think about actually doing anything with it i was i was an only child as well so i i didn't have a sibling to sort of share 
the burden of what was going on. I was very isolated and, and very alone and, and I didn't feel I was able to tell any friends or teachers or, or anybody that was around me because it was sort of just instilled into me that I wasn't allowed to ever say anything bad about my mother because she would hear about it. Was it her that said that to you? No, she never said that to me. It was like I just knew that if I said anything critical of her to anybody and it got back, I would be in trouble. And I think this is a big thing, is that you're terrified of being in trouble. Yeah. You're absolutely terrified of being in trouble. And I still carry that now to this day. It's so fascinating to me that, that, that the only thing that makes me feel really, really anxious is if I think I'm in yes. trouble. And that goes right back to me as a child with my mother. There's no doubt about that. Or if somebody's cross. Yeah, exactly. Or if someone's cross oh, with I can't you. stand that. And it's interesting, it's interesting you that when we talked before this, you told me that lots of children who have parents with a mental illness are, are overachievers yeah. or high achievers. And it's because precisely because of this is that you don't ever want to be in trouble or you don't want to disappoint anyone ever. For me, it really helped. I mean, obviously, when I was a child, I, I didn't have the uh, the intellectual capacity to sort of stand back from it and and be able to make a, a, a you know, a, a considered a response or a decision about what was actually going on with, with me and my mother or what was going on with my mother. In, and in my 20s, I, I felt quite resentful towards her because I still hadn't worked it out but it was in my it was only in my 30s when I started to realize okay you know what I think she's actually very unwell and that just changes something in your brain in terms of how you think about that person and you start to become actually much more sympathetic and and empathetic uh towards them I mean I mean I'm talking from a position of my mother wasn't diagnosed and I didn't get a definitive diagnosis of what she had until she was dead. Yeah, oh my gosh. So, you know, I, there, there was no way of processing with her mm -hmm. what she was going through. Um, she was unmedicated. She wasn't under any medical care for what she had. Yeah. So she was sort of suffering in silence, but I think certainly from... Well, she wasn't suffering in silence because sort of we we were at at, at the at the coal face of dealing with with mm -hmm. with how she was suffering, but certainly if if we had had information as to, as to what she was suffering with, I think it, you know it would have made an enormous difference. That was another thing that intrigued me about not having that insight. Do you think that your mother had the insight? So, do you think she suffered? Yes, I I think my mother did know that that she was schizophrenic. Okay. I absolutely do think that she know she knew that, but she also knew if she ever told anybody, certainly in the sixties, that she was mentally unwell, she would have been immediately put into an yeah. asylum, and she would never have had the life that she had. She would never have had a normal yeah. life. And she would never have achieved the things that, that she achieved. Bearing in mind that, that she was a child that came from a household that was surrounded with secrets for, for other very different reasons. Yeah. Oh, Grandad Bob, by the way, in the book. Yes. Oh, Grandad Bob. <laughs> it was hilarious. I mean. Very funny. I mean. Very funny. But, um, you know, she was brought up by her mother to keep secrets. Yes. So that had that was ingrained within her. Um, and I think she fully understood that if you were, for want of a better word, mad in the 1960s mm -hmm. and into the 70s, uh, you'd be locked away. Yeah. There, there was not the help that there is now. So, you know, I, I'm, I would like to think that if my mother was, was 24 now, having just had me, that she would be getting all the help that she needed but you know she she tried to kill herself when she was 11 and she would often tell me this story and, and think it was funny 
like she would laugh about it and i and i would say you know did did no one ever help you in fact this this is the only occasion in in her life where we ever discussed what might have been wrong with her and she would just say no i was sent to have a slice of cake at my aunt's house and that was it and then it was never discussed again and you have to think you know what was going on there that an 11-year-old child was either so unhappy or so disturbed that they threw themselves from a window in order to kill themselves and nothing was done. So that just sort of shows that in back then, yeah, and that would have been in the 50s, back then it was like, no, we don't talk about yeah, this. Turn this, a blind this eye. Is, this, is, this, is, this is shame upon shame upon shame. Yeah. And that's where it all the seeds of of her keeping it secret began no doubt about it and how old were you do you think when you first started to realize that there might be not so much a mental illness but how old are you were you when you were a child when you remember your mother behaving in ways that were not okay or were not about three three yeah she would she would chuck books at me oh but, I mean, the, the 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 big memory for me was when I was sort of around eight, eight years old, and and Dad wasn't in the house at the time, which made it sort of worse. But she, she took a large carving knife into the bathroom and locked the door, and I, um, remember standing at the door and and just sort of begging her not to do anything, and so I was clearly aware that that bad things were going on. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't really have the, as I say, the intellectual capacity to really properly un- understand it. I just knew that it was something frightening, yeah. and that's that's how I I reacted to it because it was just fr- it was just frightening, and I didn't know what to do. You basically ended up then, as you were growing up, providing mental health care for mm. your mother. It was it was all about it was all about placating her. It was all about it was all about dampening down the beast. It it's it's it was that um it, there's that phrase isn't there walking on eggshells around somebody and it, and it's like if you've got somebody whose behavior is erratic but there's a good version of them. You know, she she wasn't permanently bad. This was this was a thing. When she was good, she was absolutely fantastic. She was the most charismatic person I've ever <laughs> met in my life. She was hilarious. But you will do everything in your power not to, you know, poke the bear or do anything that you think is going to spark a an outburst. And and you don't. I think when you're a child, you don't understand that those outbursts have got nothing to do yeah, with that's you. Right. They've got absolutely nothing to do with you. They're, they're not your fault. There's nothing you can do or say that will stop one coming. If one's coming, it's coming. And I think that's really important. And I, I spent my childhood thinking that my mother didn't like me. Um, and that was tough. That was really tough. Of course. But she did. She did. You know, she loved me. She was She was very, very proud of me. Certainly, you know, well into my my late teens and, and my 20s and my 30s, yeah. she was really proud of me. And she loved me very, very much. But as a child, I, I, I did not know that. I didn't feel it. And and worse than the love bit, I, I thought she didn't like me, which is sort of a, a, a whole other bag of yeah that's trouble. a really difficult position for a child if the if the being unwell is directed at you in certain says with yeah. my mum she would could be volatile but it wasn't often it would be directed at me so um yeah that's a whole other difficulty I think for many children mm. and that's really mm. hard you describe Brenda in the book I love this you said she was a bold exaggerator a mischief maker an absolute devil and it's yeah, she it, was just very evocative. She was. It's 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 that it's that thing of I I was giving a a talk at a literary festival a week ago, and someone with uh, bipolar was was in the audience, and and during the questions, 
uh, she she said I've I've got bipolar, and and she said, do you think that? I mean, my mother did not have bipolar, but she said, do you think that that her mental illness was also sort of like a gift? It was that the thing that gave made her the exciting, extraordinary person that she was, and probably <laughs> yes. Probably yes. I mean, this is the thing. If you know, if you look at history and think about great creative people, mm-hmm. a lot of them had mental health issues. So there's there's no doubt about it that you know that probably her being schizophrenic is just as much made her the the exciting person that she was as as well as bringing the horrors that that come with the downside. There's, there's uh, there's there's probably no doubt about that. Having said that, I still wouldn't wish it on anybody. No, no. Um, for the sake of you know being fabulously creative and wonderful, it, it's it, it is a very 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 serious mental illness. That the 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 problem for my mother, of course, is that she wasn't diagnosed in her lifetime, and uh, got no help for it. Neither did we. Exactly. So there was no family support in place. Did other no. people see the behaviours that? you saw and that your father saw my uh my aunt her sister saw it the three of us bore the brunt of it and very occasionally very very occasionally strangers who had annoyed her oh yes would see the brunt (laughs) of it from the book but other than that other than that she was an absolute master at, at keeping it it hidden but but as soon as the front door shut it's like she felt she could relax, I suppose, and just, you know, hold us to ransom. Isn't that interesting? I wonder, I mean, do you think a lot at all about if you had had conversations with her, what you would ask, what you would have wanted to ask her? A, bi- a big thing for me was whether it was her being able to control it a choice, in which case, why was she choosing to do it to us? Did you feel that she was choosing is that how it felt that she was choosing well you know i kind of think if if you're if you're able to mm-hmm. rein it in when you think you need to rein it in then that sort of does feel like a a, a choice um and that that's that's very hard to reconcile so i, I would definitely ask that of her but also i i think i would just have said you know it's okay it's okay to have a mental illness it's okay and you can get help and you can if you want to you can have medication that will help you through the worst bits whether or not she would have paid any attention to that is of course another another matter and if you were worried about her response then that's difficult as well because well i mean this is the thing is that it's like Stockholm syndrome, isn't it? It's it's you uh, when you're being held captive, you mm-hmm. you you will do whatever you need to do in order to survive your captors, yeah. and you will accept things that you wouldn't accept from anyone else. It's like being held hostage, really. It's also interesting though that you say you know you you put up with it, and then mm. as you got older, you started to realise. And I wonder if you know when you realize it's not who they are and that maybe that Brenda that you saw who was the jovial life of the party friendly kind that's that's Brenda yeah i i think one of the big things for me when i wrote the book was i wanted to remember the good Brenda i wanted that to be the memory rather than the bad Brenda and when she died, it was just I, I was just stuck with these horrible memories, and in writing the book, I was able to sort of reconnect with with the good bits and the brilliant bits, and that that felt really important to me because yeah. as, as I keep and I keep saying this, she wasn't bad; she was unwell, and I think that it just turns on a switch in your brain that helps you deal with 
all you're dealing with when when you're a child is the immediate what is happening in front of you. You know, there's no sense of, uh, you know, you're, you're not looking at a schedule. You're not looking at a diary thinking, oh, yes, Wednesday will be bad. So I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll make sure I'm not in. You can't do <laughs> yeah, that. That's true. You know, you can't do that. You, you, you are trapped, yeah. for want of a better word. You're trapped with having to, uh, and you have to find coping mechanisms. And you don't understand about coping mechanisms when you're a child. No. But, you know, what I would do was I'd, I would, if it was like summer, summer was much easier to deal with because I could just go out the door. Go and, and play. And go, and go play and take myself away from it. And there was always my bedroom, which I could just go up there quietly and hide. Thank yeah. you. And again, you know, because I, I was an only child, I would, I would just go upstairs and I'd either read a book or I'd play Monopoly with myself. Oh, do you know, I really, <laughs> I'm an only child as well. And later down the line, I gained some sisters, a couple of sisters who are my cousins, but we call each other sisters because I went to live with them. But in the, those early years, right up until I was 11, 12, and actually they're older. So yeah, I played a lot of games by myself as well. It's, um, isn't it yeah. funny to think, I just, at that time, kids all over the place doing that and in the same situation and not. Mm. Well, it's because you're afraid. You're afraid of it because you don't understand uh, what's going on. You're, you're afraid of, of, of the flashes of temper, of being in trouble. You're afraid of how it makes you feel. How did it make you feel? Just horrible. Just constant, mm -hmm. really anxious and on edge and, and just sort of terrorized, yeah. really. And it was a horrible feeling, a really horrible feeling. And one of the things when, when my mother died was I went through a period of feeling really guilty because I was relieved that I was never going to feel that feeling ever again. Yeah. And it was like a relief. It was like a weight off, off of me that just, just went yeah. like that because I knew I was never, ever, ever going to experience that sense of terror ever again. Yeah. Um, but when, you know, when, when you're a child, it, it's really, really tough. And, you know, if I'd had one person that I could talk to about it, it would have just lifted that yeah. sense of weight, even a little bit, you know, that, that and if I knew that I could talk to someone and it wouldn't yeah. get back to, to my mum. Did you talk to your dad at all? No. No, 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 no. Yeah. He was in the same position. Yeah. We were just terrified <laughs> of her yeah. when she was in those moments. And it's, it's interesting, I think my, my dad is a lovely, lovely, lovely man, but I don't, I don't think he had the mm. tools to intellectualise what was going on or the practical tools to understand what was going on. There was just a real sense of, okay, we just have to put up with this and we just have to get through it. And, she, you know, mum's a bit mad and uh, that's how it is. Yeah. Oh, gosh, it's interesting. Everybody was not talking about it and it was undiagnosed you know, my mum had a diagnosis. It was kept for me, I think, to sort of protect me. My dad would deal with it. I think I think what happened was it, it's like it, it, we, we all just assumed it was her period. <laughs> so it was like she's either got a period mm. or a period's coming mm -hmm. or a period or she just had a period. So month. it was like th there was, <laughs> yeah. 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 So, it, so it was like um, we might get a good week. Yeah. But for three weeks, no, forget it. But it was so, it mm. was like that. So any sort of suggestion, if anyone had, had even begun to suggest to her that she had a serious mental illness, she would have just gone crackers Gosh, at us. She would have been furious. But again, it's a part of, you know, she didn't want to get found out. It was really, that was a really big thing for her. She didn't want to get found out. Do you think she was embarrassed or was she worried about treatment or... I think given her background, she'd come from a dirt poor family and she had managed to, to pick herself up and out. 
and got herself a, a proper life and a career and a, a house and, you know, with a nice garden and all of those things. And I think that she was terrified that anything that would be anything, you know, admitting that she had a mental illness would be a setback. And I think it, it, it was, it's that primarily. Do you know what? Interestingly, if she met anyone and, uh, and she wanted to disparage them, she'd say they were schizophrenic. <gasps> Ah, a schizophrenic. They're a schizophrenic. <laughs> and I do what she did. She did go and see a doctor once at St. Bart's and it was never discussed. I just knew it happened and dad knew it had happened. And dad and I actually went with her, but we sat in the car outside St. Bart's and we knew she was seeing a psychiatrist. Oh, and she came out, she didn't tell us anything about it, and she never went again. How was that arranged? Was Did she make the I don't appointment? Know. I don't know. I think she did. I don't know. But I really don't it's know. It's interesting, thinking about mental illness now and the connotations and the associations that people make. We're not that far away. If your mum was worried, whatever she heard in there made her not want to associate because she was worried about the life mm. she'd built for herself. Mm. I don't yeah. think we're that far removed from a lot of that today. I think a lot of people still associate mental illnesses like schizophrenia with poor outcome in terms of life mm. chances. Yeah. So, I th and I think for her, it it was just no. I can't. I can't. I can't allow this to be public. I can't allow to. I uh, can't allow myself to admit to it. I can't, I don't want to hear it because I will be tarred. With it. Do you think it's possible she was told that day? It's quite possible, yeah. But she never told us. Gosh. And then the language, yeah, calling someone schizophrenic. Even today, see if, oh, if someone says schizo, makes me mm. so cross. Yeah. But isn't it? In isn't that interesting that, you know, and anyone that crossed her, they yeah. were schizophrenic. And so she must have heard that language somewhere. That must so be she some must have heard it, yeah. Yeah. Because she wasn't saying anything else. And for you then as a child, when the impact it had on you, so you said, you know, your coping mechanisms to play and, and go in your room. Did you have any physical or emotional things going on for yourself? Did you feel, you said you were a bit anxious? I was anxious. Interestingly, when I was about 13, I developed emetophobia, uh, which is a fear of being sick yes a bit earlier than that probably around 10 or 11 I developed that phobia and I still have that phobia yeah I can empathize uh, with that as well I yeah. think we spoke about this before yeah it is yeah. it's horrendous and do you know what do you know what else is interesting I, I told this story about that chat we we had at, at another literary festival and some people who were in the audience went oh my god so have I <gasps> Because no one talks about it. No one talks about it. It's so funny. And they were all people who'd had parents who had had a mental illness and they, they had all, we've all got the same phobia. That's amazing. It's fascinating. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated as to how that specific phobia manifests itself from yeah, childhood and, anxiety. Yeah, where it stems from. I remember being three, the first time I remember mm. worrying about being sick, I was three years old. And mm. I was a bit older. I was around eight, I think, eight, seven or eight. And it's awful. And even now, I don't know, how does yours, is it if you're in a, a situation that generates anxiety for you or is it if you're in a situation where there could be somebody being sick? I can't be around anyone that's yeah. going to be sick. I, that, I get fright and flight still. Uh, it's mm -hmm. like, no, I, I can look after someone if they're ill. <laughs> If they if they had a leg yeah. hanging off, I would be able to look after them. I've got no problem with blood. I've got no problem <laughs> with any illness yeah. that does not involve sick. <laughs> if there's if yeah. there's even a whisper of yeah. sick being involved, I'm out the house. I'm gone. Yeah. I'm gone. Yeah, I'm no good to you. You know, it, it's one of the great sadnesses Ooh. of 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 my life is that on the day my mother died 
she started being sick yeah. and I couldn't I couldn't be with her. I couldn't help her. There was nothing. It was like ice grew over my feet. I could not help her. But yeah, so it's that. But I, I haven't been sick since I was 13 and I'm 55 now. It's it's like my my brain, my brain just goes no, that's not happening. It's not happening, and I've felt sick, and I've wanted to be sick, but I've managed not to be sick. My husband doesn't understand it, and neither do many. Most people will think, well, if you feel sick, be sick so that you feel better. Do you know? Actually, I have had to confront it on a few occasions because I've got two kids, and this is the other interesting thing about emetophobia is it can really, really impact. Like other phobias, it can stop things happening in your life. It can... Yeah, I did. I haven't got children because of it. Yeah. But, you know, that's a massive thing. I, I lit, consciously decided, yeah. no, I was, I was not going to have children because I yeah. knew I wouldn't be able to cope with, with, with sick. Obviously, I, I'm not glad that you're in that situation, but it is very, again, it's nice to meet somebody else in a similar position who can really relate. Yeah, I get it. I yeah. get it. It's, you know, it's, it's like it, on all these things, it's like you just want to someone to look at you and go, I get it. Yeah. I get it. You don't have to explain yourself to me. I just get it. And the anxiety as well. I think certainly for me, anxiety was a big thing growing up and the sickness and the emetophobia was linked to that. And I, I remember once I, we were going on a school trip and I had to be given a Valium to get on the coach. I remember being taken to the GP by my dad. And the GP just giving him prescribing Valium for a 12-year-old. Rather than ask why that was happening in the first place. Yeah, 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 I was just given Valium. So many points of opportunity. This is what fascinates me about your situation. Yeah. So many instances yeah. where somebody could have picked up a medical professional yeah. or, well, maybe a family member, but someone could yeah. have picked up and run with what was going yeah. on. Yeah, if 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 my if my GP had sort of sat back and thought, now why have you got a, why have you an eleven year old child got sort of emetophobia? Yeah, and if I had been quizzed on that, you know, who knows? They might have got dug down to the fact that I was living in terror. But then, you know, I would never have told them because I it, it would have got back to my mum. Yeah, and that was too big a, a terror and a horror. Again, we, we sort of screw back yet again to I did not want to be in trouble. Were you ever worried that, because this can often be a common worry of children, of parents with mental illness, that if it was exposed, that somehow you would be taken away? Oh, God. It, yeah, it was an unimaginable horror as to what would happen if it was ex exposed. It was sort of like the gate, the mouth hell would open. Yeah. And and the absolute worst imaginable things that probably things beyond my imagining would happen. That that was sort of what what was in my head. That all merry hell yeah. would be unleashed if 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 it got out. See that that's that's where the the I think the difference between families where there is a diagnosis and there's that experience and managing that, and then it's so much more difficult in a sense where there isn't the diagnosis because that fear of what might happen, the unknown, it's the unknown. Again, you know, I, I think if, if we had had a, a diagnosis, then I, it would probably be very, very different, my experience, but we didn't. And so it was just, you know, we were in the dark. And you laterally discovered after the book came out, the, the, the doctor that wrote to you, and I, I was fascinated by the diagnosis, mm. actually. There is somebody else in my life um, at the moment who... Brenda really reminds me of it's actually um my mother my mother-in-law I have asked if I am I, if I'm allowed to allude to that and so I was talking to my husband about this because his mum also suffers um from mental health issues and there's um there are interesting parallels that upon reading letters with Brenda I thought huh yes I can see some mm -hmm. alignment there so how old is she um, out of interest She's 74, I think. Yes, again, I think it's that um, generation really suffered. Yes. And continue to suffer. They do. And no definitive diagnosis, no, mm. just sort of left to 
experience. To crash through life, just left to crash through life, having to experience harm for themselves and also the harm that it does to everyone around you. Yes, and and that was the other thing, interestingly, was not being able to maintain relationships often. I know your mum and dad were together you know, the whole time and... Yeah, for 47 years, which is uh, it's just astonishing to me. But I think that's down to my dad just just being really loyal. I, I, I mean, I think he, you know, he really did love her. There's, mm-hmm. there's no doubt about that. He really did love her, even though she, she made his life an absolute misery at, at, at points. But again, he's, he's the sort of guy that, that, that will just put up with what he's got. I don't think it would have ever occurred to him to leave her, even though I, d- I did ask him on several occasions, <laughs> why are you with her? And I think in the early years, it was because of me, because back then he wouldn't have been given custody of me. Mm-hmm. And then I think latterly it sort of more turned into um, all about the house and I'm not leaving the house. And yeah. So did your dad do most of the caring then of you? My dad did everything. My dad did everything. My dad was my mum. My my dad cooked me every meal I've ever I ever had as a child. He washed my clothes. He stitched my name into the back of my PE kit. He would, you know, take me. Uh, he would give me all the lifts. He was my mum. My mother didn't even make me a piece of toast in my lifetime. <laughs> or a cup of tea. Not a cup of tea. No. Do you know what? That's so interesting because I think, to me, that that is somebody with because initially the doctor had said narcissistic personality disorder a form of oh she was very controlling yeah and that that was part of it I mean people people often don't believe me when I say she never made me a a single thing to put in my mouth but it's true it's true (laughs) it's true I once found her my dad went into hospital for a week and uh and I remember standing, looking at her and saying, this is, this is your big chance with me, do you understand? I was, I was just 11. And she went, yeah, okay, yep, yep, I get it. Yeah, and I said, I'm not, I'm not feeding you this week, do you understand? She went, yeah, okay, yep. Like, it was really serious oh conversation. And I went off to school and I came back and she said, well, do you want your first course? And I thought, what's going on? And she just put in front of me a pot of cockles that she'd found in the back of a drawer. And we couldn't get the lid off. So that was the end of that. And she got me to phone round friends, different friend every day, and, and, and to slightly cry down the phone and go, oh, my dad's in hospital, please, 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 will you, can I come for tea? And then my friend would go ask their mum, and then the mum would cause goes, of course she could come for tea, poor Emma, her dad's in hospital. <laughs> and my mum would be nudging me going, and me. <laughs> And, and me. And so I go, can my mum come as well? And then, of course, I can't say no. So we would then go to a different person's house every evening for tea. They would have to come and fetch us because my mum couldn't drive. And we would sit there. My mum would be, like, just having the time of her life. She couldn't believe she'd pulled off this wheeze. It was, like, the greatest idea she'd ever had. And then at the end, I remember there was one day and I said, are you, and I would insist on doing the washing up because I was so mortified. And I said, uh, are you going to help me do the washing up, mum? And she just looked at me and said, I can't lift a pan, Emma. My womb will drop out. And I found her once, the only time I can ever remember seeing her cooking something. I found her in the kitchen staring down into a boiling pan. Okay, and this was like, what is going on as far as I was concerned? I said, what's she doing? What what's she doing? And she said, I am cooking a broccoli as if like this was like <laughs> an extraordinary event that had never occurred before in all of humanity. And I looked into the pan and it was parsley. <laughs> so she was sort of like, you know, like the worst sort of, of stereotype of a man. Uh, yes. Of a dreadful husband <laughs> Can't who cook. does nothing, yep. who doesn't lift a finger. That was my mother. But I think you're right. It was, it was control. It was, it was she had to control the environment that she was in. I wonder, do you think there's possible that she was somehow afraid to cook or to do these things? No, I think it was absolutely deliberate. Gosh. and It's just, no, I'm not doing and that. And did she order you around as a child to do things? Yeah. Yes. Yes. 
I, I, I did all the tidying. I, I was in charge of tidying. I was allowed to not tidy my own room. It was like that, that in my own, in my bedroom, I was allowed to do what I wanted. And that was like the only latitude I was given. It's so often the other way around, isn't it? Kids have to tidy their room. Yeah, but the trade-off was that I had to keep the rest of the house tidy, which I did. So I, I, you know, every Saturday morning, I'd be doing all the dusting, hoovering, cleaning, all of that. Mother, my mum would be just sitting on the sofa doing nothing. So that that was me. But but I remember other, other kids used to, when they came to our house and they would come into my bedroom, they couldn't believe their eyes. because You couldn't see the carpet because it was just absolutely covered in books and... The walls had paint on them. Did you rebel in there? Were you just in there throwing things around? No, it wasn't so much. It wasn't so much rebelling. It was just like this is my space. Yeah, yeah. And I do wonder whether in her head she thought to her. Well, I like to think that maybe she thought to herself, "Just let Emma have a a, a bolt hole from all of this." I like to think that she thought that. Yeah, uh, but I don't know for definite. I know I asked this earlier, but in all of the years, not one acknowledgement of the way she was behaving or that she could see it wasn't acceptable, nothing. No. One of the things that makes me really sad is that at no point in her life did my mother ever tell me how she was feeling and, you know, she could complain about everything. She could complain about a pear. She could complain about the state of a road. She could complain about a cup of coffee. She could complain about everything and anything. But she never complained about herself. Ever. Not even when she had cancer. You know, the two times she had cancer, she never complained about what she was going through or any, I mean, which is extraordinary, you know, the, the, the second time she had cancer, it was awful. It was absolutely awful what she had to endure. Never complained. And if she had ever once complained about herself or just sat down and said to me, I'm feeling awful. I'm feeling like I can't cope. I'm feeling like I'm not in control of myself. She'd probably still be alive today because the reason that she got cancer the second time was because she was so paranoid the first time that she refused a lot of the treatments that would have made sure she didn't get it again paranoid about the treatments or she was paranoid yes she thought that she thought she'd been given cancer by a CIA operative in a bookshop in Cambridge and uh, she refused chemotherapy she refused to have mastectomy she refused to have uh, the drugs that she should have taken for the rest of her life that would have stopped it coming back because she was convinced that it was all a plot between the hospital and myself and my father to kill her. So she was really paranoid, really, really paranoid. And at that point, did anybody bring up the possibility of mental illness? No. We sat, me, me and my dad sat with her in the consultant's room when she was telling him that she had been given cancer by a CIA operative in a bookshop in Cambridge. And we all just sort of looked the other way and like, oh, here she goes. Oh. Here she goes again. Silly old eccentric Brenda. Eccentric, that's, yeah. Silly old eccentric Brenda being, being ridiculous. But my God, you know, wouldn't have, wouldn't have stopped her and gone, you know, put a hand on her and gone, um, okay, Mr. Consultant, you can see that she's clearly mentally unwell. Can we do something about that, please? Wouldn't even dared. Wouldn't dared to have done it. Because, I mean, the, the first time she had cancer, it was, again, it was, it was absolutely horrific because she was just refusing things all the time. Just it, it, every single treatment, it took us three weeks to make it happen. Because she'd get there, she'd refuse, go home. Take her back, refuse, go home. Take her back, refuse, go home. So it was like that. So again, you just fall into a pattern of don't, don't, just just try and keep her calm. Just try and keep her calm and we might get her to have a biopsy. Yeah. 
you know, it was like that with, but every step of the way it was exhausting. That's been going on since you were a child, that exhaustion. Yeah. Yeah. It's exhausting. Yes. I mean, that's it in a nutshell, isn't it? It's exhausting. Yeah. And and unsupported. It's And so when you're exhausted, it's, you give in. Yeah. You put up with it. You just go sort of, you just, just close the shell. Yeah. That whatever protective shell you have worked out of 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 to give yourself when these things mm. kick off, it, that just shump, and you make yourself as small as possible, mm. and try not to be noticed. It's interesting. I was, you know, with your mum's concern about not about divulging her mental illness or being diagnosed, and then all of the treatment or potential treatment and hospitalization that would come along with that that's I guess the childhood that I had my mum was in and out of hospital till I was seven I have a lot of memories being in hospital do you think I guess maybe this is a difficult question to answer as a child would that have been if there was involvement and there was hospitalization and it was would that have impacted you differently do you think it would have helped I think well yeah I think probably in hindsight I think with all things isn't it it's how it would have mm. been dealt with and how it would have been, been explained to me but I was being brought up in an environment where you know it was shameful and embarrassing and I think that's a big thing is 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 especially for children is to get over the sense of embarrassment yeah. Because she was embarrassing in public. I was going to ask that. So, what would what would she do in public? Oh, she'd yell, she'd scream at people, yeah, at me, at dad, go bonkers. Oh man! In shops and things and restaurants, and just just suddenly just blow up like a volcano, and you'd be like, oh god, please, anywhere but here, please, let me get away from this. Yeah. So, you know, it's it, it's that thing of, oh, it's embarrassing to have a mad mum, isn't it? And difficult as well when your mum's behaviour wouldn't necessarily automatically look like mental illness. People might just think she's being badly behaved. Yes, and that and, and that's it in a nutshell, yeah. It's a common thing that comes up. I was trying to stop my mum talking to the voices in her head, which she would outwardly do. Mum, can you just, just don't talk to yourself just now. Mm. Just wait till everybody goes. Yeah. And it's... Yeah, please don't embarrass me. all the time yeah. trying to suppress it. It's a symptom, the way if someone's got a bad leg that they're going to have yeah. a limp and and they'll be limping along. Yeah. Is, is, but it's very difficult. It's a it's, hard um, ask that to not feel embarrassment yeah. when someone's kicking off, especially in public. And when you're a people pleaser and you're trying to, you want people to like you and you want to be accepted. And that it's nothing to do with you. That's the big thing. It's nothing to do with you. And if anyone's, you know, feeling embarrassed, that's, that's you know, yeah. f forget it. Forget it. I have another, just one thing I wanted to explore with you, kind of from a personal point of view as well. So I know that after your mum passed away and you started to explore and you found the letters, which, by the way, I thought were hilarious. And the, they're so, the, they're so yeah, theatrical. Yeah, they're very funny, aren't they? She's very theatrical in the letters. Yes, that was her in a nutshell. But you then went on a bit of a journey to explore your mum's past and perhaps to try, correct me if I'm wrong, to try to pinpoint if there were any events or trauma or experiences that could maybe explain mm. or help to explain yeah. the point which she I got I just wanted to. anything that would explain her behaviour, yeah. I guess I just am I'm, I'm curious about how that has impacted on you as well and because it's something that's in the back of my mind. My mum's past. I have, um, I know certain things, and I'm, I'm, I would be quite keen to maybe explore it. But I, I, I definitely, I definitely came to have a better understanding of her, especially when I began to have a better understanding of her own childhood, and I could sort of draw a line all the way mm -hmm. back to you know really when she was about seven years old. And see where the, the secrecy had come from, sense of shame had come from. It's all there. And also, you know, my, my grandfather clearly also had some form of mental illness and it may have well have, have passed down to her. But it's interesting, my, my, aunt, my aunt, who I talked to a lot for the book, she, at the end of the process, she said this was like doing therapy and it sort of was, and it was like doing therapy <laughs> because it was the first time we'd properly all talked about it amongst yeah. ourselves. 
But it was really important for me to get to grips with with who my mother really properly was and why. Because I had so much love for her, so much love for her. And a big thing for me was trying to understand whether that love had been misplaced or whether it was, you know, had fallen in mm-hmm. in the right place. And it and it had fallen in the right place. And yeah. she was lovable. And I am glad that I loved her and I am glad that I'd yeah. had her in my life and I miss her terribly, even though she made occasionally that not so much towards the, you know the end but she made days a living hell that it was yeah. worth it it was worth loving her it was worth it I think that's part of the real difficulty with this for children as well we see time and time again uh, it doesn't matter how parents behave as a you child just, you, you just you, you have just this... love them and you want and you want to love them and you want them uh, yeah. to love you and you want everything to be okay and you want everything to be straightforward yeah. And you want everything to be uncomplicated. And sometimes people can't give you that um, in a neat and tidy way because life is complicated and life is unexpected and life is full of moments that you, you can't see coming and, and life is, is, is like a, a massive jigsaw that hasn't yet been put together. And you know what? That's okay. That's okay. It's okay to have a little bit of chaos. It's okay to have things that you're not in control of. It's okay. And it's okay to speak about them. And it's okay to speak about it. And it's okay to feel sad. And it's okay to feel confused. And it's okay to feel anxious. All these things are okay. Nobody, absolutely nobody, even people who don't live with parents, who have a mental illness. Mm-hmm. For everybody, life is complicated in some way. And it's okay. Oh, Emma, it's been so lovely to talk to you. Thank you so much for for being here and My pleasure. It's cathartic. Uh, yeah, yeah. It is it is cathartic and there's lots of us out there. I know. You're not alone. It's true. You're not alone. Whoever is listening to this, you are not alone, not by a long chalk just loved it like I loved talking to you the first time and I'm really looking forward to talking to you again soon hopefully it's been an absolute joy anytime thank you for having me this has been my family mental illness and me thank you so much for listening don't forget we would love you to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts so you automatically get new episodes Please share these stories with anyone you think might need to hear them. You can help bring talking about mental illness out of the shadows. If you're experiencing any of the issues discussed in this podcast, please know that you can get in touch with the charity Our Time. Our Time provides support to thousands of children and young people who have parents or guardians dealing with mental illness. It's ourtime.org. UK, or at Our Time Charity on social media. If you feel like you're struggling with mental health or you've been affected by anything in this episode, it's really important that you speak to someone. There are links to help in the show notes, but you can also contact your GP, call the Samaritans on 116 123 or contact Childline on 0800 1111. My Family, Mental Illness and Me is made for our time by Spoken Media. The production team are Patrick Wallace and Dave Howard. Original music composed by Joel Cox. Produced by the Spoken Media.